0: Welcome to Talking Kotlin. On this episode, I'm joined by Rafael and Conrad from Allegro. Hello, gentlemen, and welcome to the show. Hello. Hi. Now, I know obviously what Allegro is. I was uh, recently there at uh, one of your internal conferences. But for those that aren't familiar with the company, could you give us a short background on what it is and what you do? Um, All right. Allegro is a
1: largest e-commerce company in Eastern Europe. Um, we are basically a smaller scale Amazon in this part of the world. Uh, we control close to 50% of the market, e-commerce market in Poland. We, we hire about 450 developers in, 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 few cities in Poland. And we do basically, um, all kinds of development back and front end, mobile stuff, everything as a company, of course, not, not, not just two of us.
0: Yeah, otherwise, that would be quite impressive, right? Uh, And when you talk about Amazon, you are referring strictly to the e-commerce aspect of Amazon, or are we talking about everything else that Amazon does as well? Just e-commerce. Just e-commerce. It's always interesting to me because, you know, when you start, I mean, there's companies in China as well that are the equivalent of Amazon, such as, for example, uh, Alibaba, right? And at some point, they're scaling into their own kind of uh, cloud infrastructure as well, I guess, right? Because, you know, when you start to have such a high dependency on some other cloud infrastructure that in some way or shape or form is uh, competing with you, it does it does make things somewhat challenging. It, like recently, I'm sure that you've heard Microsoft is uh, trying to acquire uh, GitHub. And uh, GitLab is using Azure and, and like two or three days after the announcement suddenly they, they posted that they're migrating to google cloud platform which obviously you know they gave their own reasons but it does make you wonder with this like oh wait now we're going to uh, you know compete with uh, the same product that is hosted by the company that we're using for hosting our services so reason I ask this is, I mean, have you ventured into this area at Allegro or is it, or it's not something that you can talk about or you've not even thought about it?
1: All right. Um. So we have our own, well, uh, we rent data centers, uh, not from Amazon though. And uh, as far as I know, we're not looking into that direction. Um, we've started doing some experiments regarding Google Cloud Platform so most of our infrastructure is is hosted in 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 data centers in poland
0: right okay that makes sense i it's uh i wonder how many people actually do renting of data 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 centers i i I remember back in the old days that was that was a thing to do uh our, our telephone company in spain used to offer it but I don't know how common that is nowadays. But anyway, so we're on here not to talk about uh, data centers, but about Kotlin. And I know that, uh, Allegro, you're using Kotlin, right?
1: Yes. Yes, more and more each
0: More and more each day. Yeah. Okay. And what's even, I'm not going to say better, because then people are going to say, what's wrong with Android? No, there's nothing wrong with Android. But what is uh, interesting that you're using it not only on mobile, and correct me if I'm wrong, in terms of the mobile, but you're a lot of the usage is on the back-end side, right?
1: Yes, yes, at least when it comes to two of us. Uh, but at Allegro, I know teams are using Kotlin as
2: well for
1: the mm-hmm. mobile stuff.
2: But I, we actually started using Kotlin first on the back-end and then on the mobile.
1: Yeah, I, I, yes, I think so as well.
0: I said, that's cool. That 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 is like we are standing out from the crowd. You know, We started using it on the back end and they said, oh, look, it works on the back end. Let's try it for mobile as opposed to, oh, look, it works for mobile. Let's try it on the back end. So what are you doing on the back end with, with Kotlin?
1: Um, we are both responsible for Allegro advertising platform. Intent customers to, to, to basically promote their offers on our e-commerce platform. And we started like... Two and a half years ago Good. I think it was very close to the 1.0 release of Kotlin three or so 2016 if I'm and it was just you know um, we are using in microservices architecture heavily so we we were like okay let's let's try to use it in one of those you know new services and and see how it goes and it just you know it just stayed with us <laughs> And it kept on going from, you know, from this first one. We've created another one from Java to Kotlin. And most of the code that's being created by us and our developers, it's it's written in Kotlin now.
0: Right. So you're actually not converting much anymore. You're basically just new microservices that you're creating is is directly now in Kotlin.
1: It was pretty much a greenfield project. So we we didn't really had any, any any you know um um yes and and baggage um, in the form of some legacy code with us.
0: And what technologies were you using for these, or are you using for these in addition to Kotlin? What server side stuff.
1: Um, we are some heavy Spring framework users, along with side projects like Spring Data, MongoDB, Spring Data GPA, and stuff like that.
2: Um what else Well, you know, the regular stuff like the HTTP client libraries which we use for oh. things like, you know, microservices, like client server communication, um you know, um serialization the serialization object. Of... Yeah. yeah, so basically Things you will find in any um, like microservice implementation, which, um, which does, you know, regular things like accessing databases and providing some data, mm. you know, running some reports, etc.
0: Nothing really fancy. But in and re- and regard to Spring, uh, is it Spring or is it Spring Boot or is it Spring Foo, which is the, the new uh, playing ground for, for Spring? I don't know if you, you folks have managed to look into the Spring Foo stuff.
1: Okay, so um, it's mostly Spring Boot, of course. Um, when it comes to Spring Foo, yes, I've, I've you know taken a sick peek at at the code, and currently I'm not a big fan of it. I think the configuration is a bit you know um clutter. Well, it's, and it's so. yeah,
2: and it's like a still a new thing. It's like a month old or something. So, um, we'll see you know uh when when it gets its its full shape, you know how it's gonna work it's it has some promises i mean for thing for uh people who like functional programming it's probably probably a, a very nice thing um myself i'm not really a big fan of functional programming i mean i like some things of 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 this kind of approach um but um overall um i mean it's it it, it puts like a cognitive load on the developer um and um so it's not as easy as you know imperative programming, but yeah, we'll see how it goes with with spring Foo. and and um um yeah so we 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 we're actually using spring and you know all those spring stuff around like spring data et cetera uh we have some our own libraries around spring to like you know make some things better work with. Our own infrastructure and ecosystem um uh but yeah but but uh, spring is uh, had you no know, plays a very big role in our and operations.
0: interesting you say that about spring foo because one one of the things that I was going to ask is i have i've looked at it very briefly, so full disclosure here that i i basically just looked quickly at the announcement that was made by by Sebastian um When at first glance, it felt somewhat similar to Ktor, and I don't know if either of you are familiar with Ktor, but that's a that's a framework that uh, uh, Ilya, one of my colleagues, has been working on, which evolved from Wasabi, which was a framework that I started uh, and successfully killed. So, don't you like that approach of configuring, like the routing? Or routing, if you're from Europe which I am in, in code in that style is that what you don't like about the Spring Foo aspect and, and consequently Ktor or is it some other things that you don't really like when you talked about it being cluttered
1: all right um, when it comes to me uh, I always think about how the code base is going to evolve when you add multiple routes and new endpoints and stuff like that and um, Judging by the you know body looks, the current looks, um I think there is a huge potential for this kind of configuration to basically create a big mess and you know become very hard to read and interpret
0: okay, interesting any reason why
1: um well, most of developers they don't really you know try to keep the code very clean day to day
0: that is true. <laughs>
1: Yeah, So, so um, you know, um, I'm looking at it and I think I see a kind of, you know, tool that, that used properly can be very powerful, but I, I'm afraid that most of the time it is not going to be used right. properly.
0: But I guess, I mean, you could say that about pretty much everything, right? Um, that depends how you use it. It could make things really ugly or not. Obviously, there are certain tools, be these actual frameworks, languages or whatever that make it easier for you to uh, embrace complexity, but generally, I would say that you know this this kind of happens really is, it's in the hands of the developers, as you say, pretty much in what they're doing with it too.
1: Yeah, I think it can be, you know, a um, very nice and flexible tool when you have just you know a few endpoints. But I'm afraid that if you know if the application grows and grows and keeps growing, then then it will be very difficult to, to you know, keep it tidy and clean yeah. and readable.
0: And this actually brings up another question that I was going to ask, because you're using a lot of Spring Boot with Kotlin. And recently I've seen a few people uh, kind of moving towards serverless architectures where they're mostly using lambdas now in your particular case i'm guessing that this is not even a viable option right because you're not using any kind of provider that provides you with with lambdas but have you ever considered this at all or has has it always been discarded because it wasn't really an option to to begin with
1: um Well, for us, as in, you know, Conrad, me, and, and, you know, our teams, we've not, we have not, you know, um, analyzed it at all. Um, As for the company, I don't know, actually. um, We have some, you know, um, strict performance requirements, and uh, I'm afraid, you know, serverless can be difficult to to, to monitor performance and, you know, measure response times and
2: things like that. So, um, well, I don't know, actually. Yeah, I mean, uh, in our architecture right now, we have control over many things. So we have our own data center, but the software that runs on it, basically, it's it's, it's we manage it. So we have access to all the things, uh, you know, like from, you know, the like virtual machines to up to the, the level of of um, application um, servers and and microservices running on it. Um, with serverless architecture, I think we would, we wouldn't have such a control. Um, And in the past, it proved to us to be very useful to have such such control, you know, in case of things like, you know, problems, uh, bugs, etc. And performance problems, um, like, like Rafa said, so um, probably in the future, we might actually have a deeper look at it. But right now, um, the, the high texture that you have, um, it really works for us. So, um, yeah.
0: And one of the other things that you mentioned is you said you're not a big fan of functional programming. Now, Kotlin is a language that, I, I guess the definition is an object-oriented language with functional constructs. Um, I don't know if that's the exact definition, if it is not. Let's pretend for 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 the sake of argument that it is. So when you say you don't like functional programming, is there kind of like a middle ground where you are okay with certain things or are you just shying away from everything that could remotely be considered functional programming?
2: No, no I, mean, I mean, what I said, I'm not a big fan. It's it's mostly because um, uh, either you have like a fully functional programming where you actually are doing functional programming, you know, uh, in the whole program. Like if you do Haskell, I really like Haskell. But I wouldn't use it for production um, stuff, at least, at least not for the, for the, um, for the business logic, etc. because of some things like, for example, um, Haskell is a lazy language. So in terms of performance, I don't, I'm not really sure it, it would work well. Um, uh, but I really like Haskell, but it's like, Haskell from ground up was uh, designed uh, uh, to be a functional uh, language. Now, we have languages like Kotlin or Scala, uh, which are like object-oriented programming with some functional um, programming stuff. You know, Scala goes further on the scale than Kotlin. I think Kotlin is actually like a good middle ground between, uh, you know, fully fleshed functional programming and, and object-oriented programming. There is one thing which is missing in Kotlin which I would really like to be there, which is type classes, and I hope, at some point it will have type classes uh, but the the only the, the other thing is that you know in right now we have a lot of software developers who know um object-oriented programming who know you know all this stuff about um, object-oriented programming whereas with functional programming we don't have that many developers and now we have this language which, which has both contracts and we have to teach those developers how to use properly functional programming and this is what worries me it's it's easier for someone to learn object-oriented programming at at least this is my this is my opinion Uh, it's easier to teach someone you know object-oriented program proper object-oriented programming than functional programming and um so you don't think that there's a pipeline
0: problem in that if if they focused entirely or mostly on functional programming at uh, universities or, or any kind of courses where they teach uh, computer science, that this would actually be resolved because you feel that it's easier to teach people OLP than FP?
2: Yeah, I think this is one of the problems because uh, for example, in Poland, uh, at our universities, we mostly learn after oriented programming uh, and uh, functional programming, it's, it's I mean, I did my studies like you know 15 or 20 years ago and I haven't actually had any any, any lectures on functional programming. This is something which I learned by myself uh, and I studied computer science. So it, of course it depends on, on the university, uh, but uh, I don't know how it is actually right now if they actually teach functional programming. I think
1: they only mention
2: it. Yeah. So, it,
1: it also d- depends on, on the university, right, in Poland we have two types of universities. We have technical schools and and more academic types of schools so when it comes to
2: universities like Warsaw University then maybe they, maybe they, they, yeah they... they probably have functional programming, yeah because it's like more theoretic theoretical uh, stuff but for technical universities I uh, well I started at technical University so yeah uh, we, we, I actually haven't had any any classes on that um, yeah, yeah I, I think it's also I don't know. I think it's also easier to grasp, you know, the the concept of object-oriented programming than functional programming, and this is probably one of the reasons they teach object-oriented programming and and um, and not functional, you know, in the first place.
0: I mean, in my case, in, uh, because I studied in, in Malaga in Spain, and uh, 26 years ago, they, they I actually studied Haskell. I paid zero attention to it, and I thought. This is useless and this is pointless. And why are you teaching me this crap? I, I was so wrong. I wish I had paid more attention to it back then. But it also is, in a sense, true that yes, you know, we had four months of Haskell, whereas we had overall three years of continuous object-oriented programming minimum. You know, we just had an entire year on on uh, data modeling, right, and and how to uh, model objects in an object-oriented approach. You know, things in the real world. And, and haskell was just basically four months so but you know i don't know if if we it's if we put two people completely from from the start line with zero previous knowledge one teaching them functional programming another one oop you know i i don't know which one would be easier to grasp i guess it also depends very much on the person but again coming back to kotlin so you are okay with certain construct, like for instance, you know, all of the higher order functions that are part of the standard library, all of these things, you're absolutely fine with using lambdas, et yeah. cetera, right? Yes,
2: yes, of course. Yes. Okay. Yes.
0: And one thing that you mentioned is what you feel is missing is type classes. Now, yeah. that is, you know, uh, for, for, for people that are not familiar uh, f- to the concept of type classes, can you give a quick... Uh, description of what it is and and why you feel that it's useful that you would want the language to have it
2: yeah so basically uh, it's it's quite easy to grasp if you look at how in, in java some things are done because there are no type classes like for example every object has methods like to string or hash code etc and for many of those kind of objects it doesn't really make sense to have a hash code method now if you had a type type classes then all those uh, those methods would be put in some um, well, type classes actually, which would mean that an object can act like like some type some types. Some. For example, let, let's take an example from Haskell. In Haskell, if you want to print some object or that object, sort of in, let's say implement a type class called Show, which means that this uh this object uh, if it has a type class of, of type show it means that you can call a method uh which takes a text text representation of that um, object and this is one of the things which is actually uh done in uh, which is um uh in scala language um and uh, this is something which i think would be very useful where you can actually have a logic which um which is about different concerns of an object in different uh let's say in, in different objects. So if you have an object and um and you want to have two representations of that object, one which is HTML and the other one which is a text representation. So with without stab classes you don't you you have to do some weird things like you know um having two interfaces which have two different methods for getting a text representation and an HTML representation. And you have to know beforehand that you will need such an such a um such um a logic, and your objects would have to implement those two interfaces, or you have to do some things like using the visitor pattern uh you know to make it more generic, but still it's kind of messy um so this is this is why I think in in many places it will be very useful to have type classes. And I, Actually, I know that there is some stuff going on in in Kotlin, not not by JetBrains, I think, but uh, th- 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 there are some guys who are actually trying to to introduce type classes into Kotlin. I don't know what's actually the state of it right now. Yeah, I think uh,
0: you're referring to I think it's Keep Eight Eighty Seven, uh, which is by the folks behind the Arrow library. They've they've made a proposal to introduce type classes into the language. I think that's the one you're referring to I yeah may be probably. yeah yeah yes
2: i I'm not, I'm not really sure how how far they they got uh i mean how 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 mature is this um i think the proposal is is quite mature but i don't know about the implementation of it um i don't know if you know anything about this maybe you can shed some light uh, on that uh, but i really would like to to have type classes um in, in kotlin
0: yeah now, the other thing that I wanted to discuss uh, is because I know, Conrad, you've given, last year you were at Kotlin Conf, right? Yes. If I'm not mistaken. What what was your talk on? Just refresh my memory.
2: Oh, I talked about using the coroutines with uh, Spring and, you know, generally how to create asynchronous applications with Spring with coroutines okay that was it
0: so one of the things i wanted to discuss is because you'd given this talk are you folks using
2: coroutines at allegro right now well not yet um to be honest we have i i think we haven't tried yet uh so yeah so for now the answer is no i i i think maybe in in maybe once we have some new microservice we might try to use it yeah, but not yet really,
0: but there is an a bit. I mean, obviously you're w- well versed in in the whole coroutines, right? Because I know that you've been quite uh, involved in many aspects, right?
2: Yes, so I've actually created I mean for for spring to work with coroutines, Um So I created this library, which allows you to use coroutines, Um like if it was like the first class citizen in, in spring and actually some parts of it are actually being ported to the spring foo um library so um i think or at least i hope that in the future uh the the core spring framework will have support for coroutines um and uh i know that in kotlin 1.3 um coroutines will not be experimental anymore so that might speed some things up yeah Talk about bad marketing. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, um, we have one microservice that 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 serves a role of a, a proxy or per se um, for our you know um, internal APIs, and it is a perfect candidate to introduce coroutines. But since the code is pretty pretty much mature now, um, there is no really you no know, um, business justification to 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 rewrite this asynchronous logic from RxJava Java to coroutines at the moment.
0: So, this is I'm, I you're referring to like your API gateway as such, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, as always, as I always say, like if, if there is no business reason for it, you know, just because I want to learn something isn't always
2: justified, is it? But, you know, um, last year when I talked at Kotlin Conf after the talk, some guys came to me and actually they said that they used this library and, you know, Spring with code in some production. So, even, you know, like last, it was like last year. So um there are some you know cases in the world where people actually use code on the back end. I was really surprised because I mean the, the project itself was quite it wasn't like a few months old. But but you know, but apparently there are people who are using it. Uh and um yeah. We will so, too, I promise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great. So there is one other topic
0: that I wanted to uh discuss with you and and feel free to say look you know no comments right you know like the when when the people are walking out of the court case and they're like no comments no comments um talk to my lawyers uh a few months ago or a few yeah but i think it was a few months ago there was a blog post uh on the allegro technical blog which made the rounds regarding kotlin of how uh one of the developers there had tried kotlin didn't like it and moved back to Java. Now, I'm not going to dissect this uh, or, you know, because any, and it wouldn't make any sense to discuss this without the actual developer being present. Maybe one day he can come on the show. But is this a is this a general sentiment that, that you have uh, at Allegro or are you in particular, for example, your team and other teams that you know of are happy generally with Kotlin and are committed to moving forward with it?
1: Oh right, okay.
0: Um oh, I was afraid you're to going to, to ask about
1: it. Um <laughs> so um first of all I I have to say how we work at Allegro, okay? So um we work in an agile environment, so we're divided in into teams and teams are responsible for certain domains inside Allegro, right? So so um about five or six years ago there was a huge revolution inside the company. We've invited Eric Evans to help us um, divide entire Allegro into business domains, right? Like, you know, orders, listings, stuff like that, right? Mm. Starting from that point, we've been also divided into teams, right? And teams were assigned to certain domains. And at the um, team level, the team basically decides about the tools it, it is going to use. And because the team is also responsible for supporting the product on the production as well, right so it it is a bit of a you know netflix like approach right and um because of that, it was just you know uh, a single article from a you know single developer as far as I know um, there are no other you know voices like that inside inside the company and uh Conrad and Piotr from my team that they have been conducting um, Kotlin trainings inside the company and it was one of the most popular trainings, uh, you know, internal trainings in the history. There were like, you know, five or six courses or so. I think
2: we, uh, the last time we counted, we trained probably uh, up to 200 people. So um, just, you know,
1: to sum it up, I think has you know has made a great success in in, you know in Allegro and this you know this single blog post it it doesn't really change you know anything in that aspect
0: okay and and sorry for bringing it up but you know a lot of people sometimes do say oh because you read something and you're like and and especially in our age right i mean we read something and we're like okay that's it that that's all i need to read and that that will convince me that some company tried it and and they didn't like it so i given you were here i just wanted to have the opportunity to clear that up there
1: there was a disclaimer in in this blog post as
0: well yeah or or at least you know um it was added a bit you know later on sorry what is a disclaimer I, I i don't i don't read disclaimers if they're not following my <laughs> confirmation bias yeah well um, the
1: disclaimer basically said it's, it's just you know a private opinion of of, of the author and his team yeah That's, i know in tech company
0: great but uh, it's uh, it's actually good that i mentioned this because you uh brought up something else which is interesting for me because you talked about Eric Evans, right? And uh, the, right. for those that are not familiar with Eric Evans, he wrote the book Domain Driven Design, right? And and gives courses and trainings on this topic. And one of the things that he talks about in DDD is the concept of a ubiquitous language. And you probably, you, I mean, not probably, you know way more than this than me, uh, so please, again, correct me if I'm wrong. And and the idea behind the ubiquitous language is to align as much as possible the, the code that you're actually writing with the terminology of the business. That That's correct, right? Right. Okay. So every time I think of this, I can't help but think, do we have a great opportunity here with Kotlin in that it is quite simple to create DSLs and would it make sense to start incorporating DSLs that are representing business log- logic into our application? So I don't know what your thoughts are on that or whether you've actually tried anything in this area.
1: Um, well, um, in our system, most of the data, it, it comes from the user, right? It is basically a user input in, in this form or, or another, right? So d s. l. might not be you know very useful for the applications that face the customer, but they can be very useful in tests right to to um you know um, i in, in a in, in a clean and concise way to describe some you know some some state of the system or business objects yeah, but
2: still I mean if we look at how we name for example components in our application, they pretty much, pretty much align with what business says. So there is some overlapping here so it is a part of the ubiquitous language uh and I think
0: yeah I mean I'm just I'm I'm just thinking in scenarios like I describing a shopping cart like the business rules to describe a shopping cart Right. I I cannot check out and, you know, I cannot check out if there's there's zero items in my shopping cart. If if a certain item uh, is associated with, I don't know if you have the equivalent of what would be kind of like Amazon Prime, you know, fast delivery, but it's subject to uh, three items being of a certain quantity to be uh, included in this fast delivery. All of these rules, whether these rules could be expressed as a DSL, something that actually in a way, you know, very cleanly describe the the, the business logic so that developers could f- fully understand what it is that they're implementing.
2: Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I think, yeah, so you probably you will find in our code things like, you know, if it, I mean, not in our code because we are not responsible for shopping cart, but if if we were, then probably there would be like an if statement saying, and you know, if, if it's empty, then you can't really check out uh but on uh, and uh the the question is uh i mean so a developer would would look at this code and would understand immediately the business guys probably also but i think that this kind of code is like like a tiny percent of the code that we write so in theory it would be really nice to have that kind of you know high level code uh with business rules Available to read by business guys and and uh, and probably th- this could be a good idea. I haven't yet actually met anyone or actually I haven't seen any any kind of code like that. Uh, I think not only in Allegro but also in my past uh, uh, you know jobs. It's a good idea on paper. Uh, I I really would like to see such a code, uh, but. I think it's like it probably works good for like simple cases whereas if you have more complex ones like we have for example in, in our domain um it would be really difficult to write a code which even if we introduce some kind of DSL it would be really, really difficult to write such code that it would be useful for us and for business guys um I think it's Probably our code is too too low level for that. Right,
0: I mean it's definitely something I would love to uh, uh, play with and investigate. Because I mean, if you think about it, at the end of the day, you you mentioned tests, right? Why do we like these descriptive tests? Because if I if I give a test a name, uh, you know, a shopping cart is valid, and that test is green, that is not telling me whether I correctly understood. The business requirement that's just saying that what i implemented actually works so but actually Hadi, um
1: i think it's a bad test to you know to test all cloud conditions in one test
0: yeah obviously i'm just giving an example in terms of the the name so when you move towards these kind of and i hate to use the term uh bdd frameworks uh, but when you're moving to cr- making the tests way more descriptive and giving you the conditions and giving you the actions and giving you the, the 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 actual results one of the ideas behind this is so that you don't only know that your test passes but you actually from the test understand what the behavior of the system should be so the point here was well if we can do this in tests why not try and implement some of this same idea in the actual production code as well using these uh DSLs
2: yeah so like I said, i think for for like for for simple stuff that that's a viable option and probably to some extent we are doing it uh, non consciously um because you know if you name methods like you know to business terms and your code is like a simple if uh uh and 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 using and in in that if you use methods which which also use these business terms then essentially you have some kind of a dsl or essentially you use the same language almost the same language as business does but like i said i think it's only for simple stuff if you want to do some more complicated stuff and in in our in our case uh in our advertising system uh the, these business rules, even though at high level, they seem pretty simple. um, At the end of the day, you have to take into account, you know, multiple factors. And and it's really I think it would be very, very difficult to write this kind of code, which takes multiple factors in a way that uh, that's also readable or um, yeah, by 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 the business guys. It's like if you tried, you know, writing an OS kernel and try to, you know, it's very similar. I mean, in theory, you could write parts of OS kernel uh, and, you know, tell uh, it to someone who's not technical and try to explain it to him. But it's probably better to actually do it in a more efficient way um, and do not stick with. Like the business terms or um, the equivalent of it on on in OS kernel. I mean that that that, that that's that, that's my opinion. Great. Well, we are running out of time.
0: Uh, so it was wonderful for both of you to join. I uh, appreciate you taking the time and uh, thank you for coming on. And hopefully we will uh, speak again at some point.
2: Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And
0: thank you very much for for the talk. Yeah. Thank you.